Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome along to a special edition of Setting Captains at the Irish Times today at the end of a massive week. First, hopefully you've heard our big announcement by now. If not, here it is. We're going with four programmes a week from next week. So that's Setting Captains at the Irish Times, times four. Apparently the good people of the Irish Times have not been put off by Murph's strange obsession with Pierce Brosnan, Supermax Pizza and a lot of other sundry items like that. But we can't wait to get going. It's going to be starting from next Tuesday. Hopefully you'll uh, be listening. Whatever way you're listening now, just do it four times from next week. We celebrated the news with a great night last night, a live show at the Grand Social. The Irish Times put on a big night for everybody there, so thanks to them for that. The crowd was in good form, just the right side of rambunctiousness, I think. They were uh, buying into the chats we had with the likes of Eamon Dunphy and Richie Sadler, which we'll play for you later on. But we're going to start with the Gaelic football chat from last night, so enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Please give a warm welcome to Usheen McConville, Anthony Moyles and Jason Sherlock. You should know this, right? We sent seven people into the RTR archives in March <laughs> to, find, to find the point that you scored at Court Park. We haven't heard from four of them. We don't know where they are. Four good men. We, we lost men. some good men down yeah. there. So, you know, actually, you know, it's only fair one, isn't it? Yeah. We only, we only found the one point, but let, let's play it again. Let's just so we can all drink it in. Let's play it in its entirety. In its entirety, the whole Suddenly there's an injection of pace. 
bit more penetration. It goes long. What a point! Miles. Beautiful score. A real injection of pace there, all right. I did notice the pace. I've literally never seen anyone run as slow as that in my entire life. I think he was actually talking about Casey, who was running behind yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pace. I've yeah. never been known for that. I've been a teammate of him, and I've been on the end of those passes many times. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, that was one of your better moments at Croke Park. But take us back to the first time you played there. Was it a daunting experience? Yeah. Um, 2000, actually. Um, and... Uh, Mead had just won the All-Ireland, obviously, in 99, and I got brought in in 2000, and we played awfully. And um, we were, for some reason, Trevor Giles had cut his sleeves the year before. Yeah, we all remember, Chess. Yeah. <laughs> so he had this harebrained idea. In the background, he started chatting with Sean Boyle and saying, you know, I think we should get these jerseys that are cut up on our arms. So next thing on the Thursday night before the game, we see these jerseys. And because we were playing awfully, we had to wear a kind of a... We weren't wearing the green and gold. We were wearing this kind of strange strip. And lads were putting them on, like, you know, Barry Callahan putting them on with the farmer's tan. And then the next thing, this thing up here, John McDermott sticking it on. And just lads going, like, literally, are we actually going to walk out with these on? Yeah. So uh, we lost, and that's it. Bang, gone. First time. So I was playing six. We had actually played Derry in a, uh, the league final in Clonus three weeks before. We drew, and we played in the replay. And we lost. Gertie Graham got sent off. Surprisingly enough. And uh, we lost John McDermott to injury. We lost a couple of lads. That's probably how I got started. But um, yeah, it was a disaster because it was actually the last year of, uh, or sorry, it was, it, was, yeah, it was the last year of no qualifiers. So we were gone, all Ireland champions gone, first round finished. Is it nerve wracking, Jason? You didn't strike anyone as a nervy kind of 19 year old back in 95, but the first time you played a senior match there? Um, well, like I, I dreamed of playing in Crow Park and I played, I played a bit of basketball. So kind of big occasions didn't kind of. Um, I had no issue with that, but I remember running onto the pitch, and back then, the skills weren't great in those days, like hopping and soling the ball, trying to kick a point from 21 yards out was always a challenge for me, so uh, I remember someone threw me a ball, I was running out, and I'm like, I'm not soloing that, I just ran with the ball down to the hill, so um, yeah, it was very nerve-wracking, but um, in saying that, you, you dream of playing there as well, like, and there was some, some certain occasions where just the noise in the place was unbelievable. Do you see it happening, or do you see particularly maybe younger players or older players, I don't know, get there, you know how they usually play, you know how they should be able to play, but you can see the occasion getting to them. Does that happen particularly uh, to closer to a full house? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's a different atmosphere than you're used to playing in. You know, and it, like you look at the, the me guys, they played in two Leinster finals against Dublin in the last couple of years, and I suppose you judge Dublin players on how they played against Mead. The Mead boys did well in the last two Leinster finals, and that's something they can build on for the rest of their lives because they know they've been in a, a packed Crow Park and they've been able to perform because it can kind of um, guys can, can be inhibited about it. What do you do? Is there anything you can do, or is there anything that teammates can do for you, Oshin, if it's not going right for you out there in front of 80,000 people? I suppose you're all in it together. I think that was, the, that was the big thing for me was that, you know. Coming at, leading up to those matches, I didn't want to talk to anybody apart from the boys I was playing along with. We were lucky in '97 we went uh, in a club game, and not too many people get the opportunity to go and play in it uh, with your club. It's a more relaxed occasion. Okay, it's a big occasion for your club, but it's a more relaxed occasion. Plus the fact that whenever we threw on an orange jersey, we just had this inability to win in Crow Park and had from 1953. There was a fella played in 1953 and missed a penalty. And uh, he died in 2001, and the priest at, at uh, Asma said, this is the man that missed the penalty in 19... 
Yeah, and I remember, I remember, like I don't know, I don't know if it was me or not, or whether it was paranoia, but I just felt as if everybody was saying this to me. Did you hear about your man Bill McCurry who missed the penalty? And uh, I consistently heard that, and then I walked up to a penalty in 2002 and missed the penalty. <laughs> So I don't know, I just wanted a taxi at halftime that, that, that day. But, what, did uh, player, what did your teammates say to you? Was there an arm around you? Well, you all right? To be honest, the only person who said it to me was coming off the field. Ronan Clark uh, put his arm around me and said, look, did you make up for it in the second half? Nobody else said anything. Because I suppose there's different characters in the dressing room. Some of them need an arm around them. Some of them need to kick up the backside. And then there's others who you just leave alone. McGinney, McGrain, they were all left alone. If, regardless, how, regardless of how bad they were playing, they were just left alone. Yeah, yeah. Nobody said anything. Maybe ringed them during the week or something. Like that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, for, for me, for me, I was, I was better that way. You know, I was better. Uh, we had a sports ecologist walking with us that day, and he said, "Take this ball out after half time, go up and kick it in the, into the net and hit 16." <laughs> Why am I doing that? <laughs> Already, then you're in real trouble. Yeah. You would think like that more. Yeah. But, uh, so I, I got the ball at half time, just went out and I kicked it into the crowd, and I suppose the rest is history. But it's a very, very daunting place. I played in the old Crow Park, which for me I preferred, and the new Crow Park is just it's too it's too big, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I mean, the problem is it's it's. You, you get lost in Crow Park at the moment. Like, I mean, anyone who's... Is, it's funny, depending on the way the wind is... The wind swirls around Crow Park, you know? And even though how the noise can be deafening, you can actually call a fella maybe 20, 30 metres away and he'll hear you, you know? It's, kind of, it's nearly at a level above you, you know? And when you're actually on the pitch, and if it's not full, if there's not 60,000 plus, it's actually a very eerie place. Like, I mean, if there's 40,000 in there, you're kind of going, this is, this is actually a bit strange. It's interesting, Hushin talks a little bit there about sort of what you can do, tricks, almost psychological tricks. Well, trying to score a goal is probably one of them, but one of the more famous ones, Jason, as a team, would have been when you were playing for Dublin under Paul Caffrey, the old arm-in-arm uh, -arm march down towards Hill 16 and the belting out the anthem down there and then going and winning a lot of games, but not always the biggest ones. What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was certainly something we thought about, um, I suppose, to put it in context. That was in 2005. It started in 2005. That was uh, Pillar Caffrey's first year. We were coming off the back of the Tommy Lyons era, um, which probably didn't go down in, in Dublin's greatest years in, in terms of history. So there was a disconnect between the team and Hill 16. And like Hill 16 was a big thing for us. And like I would have suggested a lot of things to Pillar. One was that we'd go in and get 30 men in a team picture, which we did. And that was we were probably one of the first teams to do that because we felt it wasn't a 15-man game and all that. But did you suggest the arm in arm as well? I might have had something to do with it. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was just what the logic behind it was that there was a disconnect. We needed the hill and we just wanted to show that we needed them. Now, obviously, that was the first game and it just grew legs. And I was actually having a point with Alan Brogan the other night and I said, do you remember that thing Pillar Caffrey used to do? And he goes, yeah, that was fucking stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was like, what, what kind of age you would do that? Like a man in his 40s. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell him where he got that idea from. Yeah. <laughs> what did, what did yeah. you boys make of it? I mean, I know like from outside Dublin, the reaction wasn't exactly uh, ecstatic towards it all. To play against them, it's, it's, it's the best thing they could have done because you just needed no motivation. You didn't need motivation to go and play the Dubs in Crow Park. But when they started doing that sort of stuff, it was just like... <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I remember that, like the we played G in the semi final and in the quarter final we drew um, with Donegal and we beat them in the next match and it was a strange occasion because you had sixty thousand dubs at the game and of course after the game like we went around the pitch and just clapped the support. Arma, I think piggybacked on that. Said, look at them going around the pitch. Who do they think they are? So yeah. um, we couldn't do anything in those days. But the reality was we weren't at the level that an Arma were at the time, you know. So we were we were trying everything and anything to kind of give us a little edge. But as we saw with Mayo in 2006, it, it, it was sometimes used against us. What did you think of that ploy, Anthony? I thought it was excellent. I was at that game. And I, have to say, I have to say, I said, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> this, is the Mayo. Oh, this, this, this is Mayo going down. Oh, the Mayo so going in. You know, I, like I mean, I never. I remember just watching, it and, and and the first couple of fellas kind of went as if they were going down the far, and the next thing they just took a left up to the hill 16. It was just like, what is going on? And everyone was just there. This is, and then the dubs kind of came out, and they were looking. And then I'll always remember there was lads. There was two warm ups going on. There was shoulders going on, and everything else. You were over in the corner, I think, oh, stretching, <laughs> <laughs> staying well out. Of yeah. I just have to go back. I forgot my gum sheet. Yeah. <laughs> Five minutes after the show in, he comes walking out. But that's but, what it was like in the dressing room. We heard Mayo were down there, and, and then there was some guys, like Oshim was saying, the dressing room was different. You had quiet guys, you had loud guys, and the Vizio was like, just forget about it. We'll just go down the fire and we'll get a warm up done. Then a few other guys, we're going down there yeah. and we're going to show them. Yeah. And, you know, all hell broke loose. And it, like, it, it certainly didn't do us any good. Like, Mayo got the, the win, so the rest is history, as they say. This is the argument when things like this. If Dublin had won in Ireland that, that year, this would have been the great psychological ploy, but it looked like a psychological weakness, uh, weakness maybe, Oisin, when they lost that match. One of the things as a team is you have to try and draw on absolutely everything. And Hill 16 was massive. It was a very intimidating place to, sh to shoot into, to play into. Um, Sick freezing, I think. Yeah. yeah. Even for uh, Ray Cosgrove that year, he found it yeah. intimidating to see it. You don't talk about that until <laughs> No, uh, it, it wasn't. I now know why. I'm <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. It was a seriously intimidating place. Free kicks, everything. You, when you taking free kicks, you sort of have a routine and you go through it all the time. Sometimes that sort of goes out the window when you have that intimidation and the booing and all that. And actually, there was a fellow who used to run about with the Armagh team, and he he said, "What you should do is you should get uh, the booing, uh, put it on a, a walkman." <laughs> at, the, at the time, at the time, put it on the walkman. Listen to it uh, when you're taking free kicks. You know, it was it was probably a pretty sound idea, but I was never going to do it. Like, but <laughs> the, uh, that's quite a common thing, though. That's uh, teams even now do that. They they pump out the noises that they're going to hear on match day in their training sessions. You don't think that's particularly helpful? Well, I think maybe that's easier to do than walking into Crossing Lane with a walkman <laughs> while you're taking free. It's probably embarrassment <laughs> factor has got to be taken into account there as well. Yeah, some of the, some of the boys that I used to play with asking you what exactly you were doing, like it just wasn't going to wash, so I just <laughs> let it go. Yeah, Dublin have had good times in Croke Park. It's probably worth mentioning as well. I'm just wondering when Jason was getting the adulation, Oshin, back in '95, you were roughly the same age. You were trying to break into the Armagh setup on a consistent basis back then. Were you looking down to Dublin, down at Jason here? And, I would have been very jealous, you know, of the coverage that Dublin was getting. Uh, I suppose the only thing about us at that time was we were so far down the rung that I could never see, the, you know, not only me but us as a team getting to where they were. And you know, I suppose there's two things, and we've said it before about about the Dublin thing. The first thing is, yeah, they get a lot of press, and uh, you know, it's you always hear about the Dublin media and that. There's an adverse effect to that too. There's a lot of pressure on, on, on those guys, and 
I would have seen it at the time. I would have would have not thought about pressure at all. I would have thought I would have looked on and in envy because you know you're you're back in your own club and you're trying to do the right things to get to that level and you're still not going to. No matter if you even if you get there, you're still not going to get the adulation that those guys were getting. So jealousy, just yeah. We mentioned Tony Gall earlier on. I should point out that Oshin on our show last week on the Irish Times predicted that there would be a few people who listen. I think an absolute massacre. Donegal will steamroller Monaghan. Um, so after the six-point victory for Monaghan, I might ask Jason, has that opened things up for the Dubs to win the All-Ireland, Jason? Um, well, it, it certainly... Well, in a, in a strange way, it hasn't helped Dublin because if things had gone the way they should have gone, they couldn't have played Donegal until an All-Ireland final, all going well. Um, but certainly... It's one of those things, you can make a case, you could say that Donegal, they're, they're stung now and they're going to react, or you could say they're on their way out and they're struggling. Um, if you look at all the All-Ireland winners over the last few years, the, the consistent thing is they've struggled injury-wise. They've, they've struggled to get their healthiest team back on the pitch, and Donegal are no different. And I feel they don't have the calibre of player to replace the guys that they're missing. Um, I don't think Leash are the best team in the world, but tactically and physically they have enough to actually beat Donegal. But in saying that, I'd love to see Donegal in that draw because they can only get Kerry, Mayo or Dublin, and whoever they get, that would be an interesting quarter-final. Anthony, Dublin's All-Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> you have to speak as well, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 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 The radio. <laughs> You've shocked you me with that one. Ireland. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't, uh, like, I mean, look, they're 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 an excellent team. They they've they have all the firepower. But I think Mead showed that there's enough weaknesses there in that Dublin team that you know potentially a better team will will be able to take advantage of. Um, I, I mean, look, every team is, is has has weaknesses and they'll build on it. And I think Dublin have obviously worked over the last few weeks. And probably the Mead game was a good game for them in that it did actually show weaknesses that they have. Um, is it the Royal Ireland? I fancy Mayo. I still think Mayo, although the way Mayo have come through Connacht, they could walk in, sleepwalking into a, a really dodgy quarter final, you know, but th their path isn't too bad, and I think that they'll raise their game when they get into Crow Park. Machine, the Dubs? Yeah, they've got a t I think they're going to get a tough. Um, you know, if, let's say they were to get a Donegal, um, and if they, if they were to get through that, which would be a serious test for them, regardless of, of what pick way uh, Donegal will react this weekend. But uh, Kerry are a team that I think would suit sort of playing against Dublin because uh, I think they can get at them. I think they have the, the forwards. Um, Kerry love playing against Dublin, especially when you know Dublin are expected to win. You know, there's nothing, there's no greater feeling for, for the Kerry boys. I think I fancy Kerry from last November. I was talking to Mark O'Shea, I think I told you this before, and he said they were training like absolute savages. And they had never done that sort of... <laughs> They've never done that sort of training before, and I was telling them like everybody's been training like that for ten years. <laughs> they, they were still they were still winning all Ireland. So uh, I'm just thinking that you know if they have their act together, tactically they seem pretty aware of where they're at. Uh, I think they'll be stung a little bit by the fact that they had a poor 35 minutes last day. So for me, there's one or two teams that can really pull it up to Dublin. I don't fancy Dublin doing all Ireland. What did the crowd think? Dublin to win? No. Yeah. 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 On the morning! Lads, you've been absolutely... Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Can I please give it up for Oshie McConville, Anthony Moyles and Jason Turner. If you just, just stay there for a second.
I wanted to avoid this, but I have just got the nod from Mark Horton that we have to go through with this yeah, no, no. charade. It's right? in my contract, this is, I'm, 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 I'm disassociating myself, but Murph said, okay, these lads were good footballers, they're great talkers, but we, we have to quantify these things. Yeah. And he's worked out who the best footballer of the three of you well, was. Actually, first. Well, actually, if, if I'll, I'll just stop you there, because this actually has nothing to do with who I think is the best, right? <laughs> it's actually just basic mathematics, right? So I've devised a formula that I believe objectively and conclusively determines the ranking of the three boys here. It's a formula that I like to call Murph's True Gale GA formula. And I think you can see there, it's uh, no expense spared on the graphics front either. So uh, basically, I've just entered the data into the mainframe to decide which of our three panelists scores uh, highest. And so here are the results. Oshin has beaten Geo twice in the championship, and Geo has beaten Anthony three times in the championship. So it appears to be pretty clean cut. Uh, Oshin first, Geo second, Anthony third. But... Who has done the most upper body work in the gym? Moilsey, by a mile. <laughs> and who has gone to the spray tan salon in the chair posters beside Crow Park the most? Again, that would be Moilsey. Now, then you, you, well, it gets a little more complicated. You take into account the skinniness of the legs, Oshin McConville. <laughs> then throw in best 1990s haircut, Jason Sherlock. So it's all looking... Well, it's, it, it's very, very tight. In the end... Jason Sherlock wins on account back most Arnott's ad campaigns. So, <laughs> Jason congratulations. Sherlock. Our true Gale chat. Yeah, I guess you can't really argue with logic like that from Murphy. He did spend about six or seven days getting that formula together, so I'm glad it worked out. Uh, and congratulations once again, Jason Sherlock, if you're listening, on, on being the uh, true Gale, whatever it is Murph wants to call it. Uh, really good stuff from the lads there. I hope you enjoyed Oshima McConville. I particularly liked his story about the Armagh man who missed a penalty in All-Ireland final. Was probably never allowed to forget about it while he was alive. And even after the poor man passed away, his family and everyone else at the funeral was reminded by the, uh, the priest there. But we're going to play Eamon Dunphy and Richie Sadler now. They were flying last night at the Grand Social. Just before that, in fact, we can't not play you P. Bezo live. You've been listening to the new show at the Irish Times? Yes. Yeah. Pay attention. You'll be well aware of the slot that has dominated the programme from day one. It's single-handedly united Irish people around the world. Yeah. There, there is a frisson of excitement here, I think. It's Pierce Brosnan's... There he is. It's a very special live edition of Pierce Brosnan's Evergreen Shoutouts. So, uh, okay, for those of you uh, unfamiliar with the concept, uh, here's the man set representing for all the sons of Erin on foreign shores uh, listening into us and we are committed to celebrating those people uh, on nights such as this. Look at him there with his gun. Uh, so, now for this live edition of uh, P. Bezzo, we asked our listeners to take a leaf from the Book of Horgan and pose in, a, in an exotic wow. foreign locale uh, with the hashtag P. Bezzo sign, like our Triple Crown winning hero, uh, Shane Horgan. Now there's Shane there, that is, I should say, the Olympic Stadium in London and not Park Talshin as viewed from outside the hospital end in Navin. That's also uh, a rather plunging neckline there. It is, it's, it's, yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's like he's uh, straight off the set of Made in Chelsea there. Uh, so when we said, do as Shane did, we didn't mean do exactly as Shane did, but Ben O'Loughlin in uh, Bremen in Germany uh, seemed to take us very literally as he tried his best to get the Wasser Stadion there in the background, uh, copying Shane even down to that plunging heavage, I believe it's called on. It's like a weedier Shane Horgan. A much, much weedier and slightly creepy Shane Horgan there. <laughs> but uh, here is Colm O'Griefa, uh, living, living up to that most Irish of traditions, acting like a total idiot, uh, in Edinburgh, holding a hashtag Pubezzo sign 
and an inflatable dolphin or an inflatable porpoise. We, uh, we're not entirely sure. Uh, he actually he said to us in his email that uh, he's a cognitive scientist. Uh, well, I remain unconvinced, <laughs> as, as politely as I can put it. So, um, and here's uh, John Cockton finally, uh, a well-meaning but sadly clueless second captain's fan. Uh, who thought a picture of him with the Cambodian taxi driver wearing an extremely fake Donegal jersey uh, would somehow be acceptable as an alternative to the hashtag PBezzle sign. Note out of 10 for you there, uh, John. So if you're listening to us anywhere around the world, uh, keep the Pierce Bros and Emigrant shoutouts coming into editor at secondcaptains.com or of course, as we all know, you can contact the man himself, Pierce Brosnan, directly. Uh, we enjoy reading your Emigrant tales immensely, particularly if those tales take less than 30 seconds for us to read. Are you all ready for two absolutely brilliant guests right now? I think the great thing about watching football on TV is that when you see it discussed afterwards halftime, almost everybody watching thinks that they know at least as much as the people talking about it, which may or maybe more, which means the people who earn a living from it need to be on top of their game to just to be of any real value in the whole thing. Delighted to say we're joined now by two of the best in the business. Please welcome Richie Sadler and Eamon Dunphy. <laughs> Eamon, you've been talking football on TV since 1978. Yes. Which makes it possibly the longest running football pundit. Anyone in the world. Yeah, I know. Um, my taxi driver on the way here tonight was a lady from Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, and she said... <laughs> Have Keep we any Malaysians? Okay. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the Brown Social. And she said, why? I said, I have a little bit of work to do. And she said, what's a man of your age working still? There's <laughs> <laughs> one thing about football country you think it's the most important to making it work. Yeah. What is it? Say what you think. Right. Say what you feel. And don't compromise. But how can you do that without getting sued? <laughs> well, I've never been sued <laughs> for a television commentary, but <laughs> no, say what you feel about what's happening, be true to yourself and regard it as if you were sitting in a room with your mates, which people, it's how people, you know, watch sport, all sports, and just do it. Richie, how hard is it to do what Eamon talks about and be yourself on TV, particularly in the environment that you walked into with the likes of Eamon and Liam and John there? I've tried it a few different ways and, and the being yourself, say what you think way is the way that I found the easiest. When I, when I started it, my first TV work was with Satanta TV, the year I finished playing football. And I genuinely thought my job as an analyst was just to reflect the consensus. And the, and the studio was up in Glasgow and I used to fly up every Saturday morning. I was on McWhelan most weeks. And I did this ridiculous thing. I used to buy all the newspapers, read the columnists and the opinion pieces and read the quotes of all the people playing the matches, learn them, and then just spit them out and tell you as if I was, you know, well-connected and I knew my shite and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> That's a really hard thing to do because it's basically a, a, like sitting in an exam. You have to remember all the things. It's impossible to be comfortable. It's impossible to be yourself. So, and... 
predictably, they bin me at the end of that season. <laughs> Shock. Um, but it's, it's hard. And now, over the years, and it's only, I suppose I'm a little bit more comfortable doing it now, and realised how difficult my old way was of doing it, that it's just so much easier when you just wait till you're asked a question and give an honest answer. Do you find that difficult, though, with the likes of Eamon and John and, the, and, and maybe Liam in particular? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Liam. <laughs> Did I find it difficult? No, well, I mean, if you talk with the Liam scenario, I've had a couple of chat, uh, say debates with Liam on air. And I genuinely believed the stuff that I was saying at the time I said it was true. And that was it. And Liam happened to have a view that, that was different to mine. And I'm, I'm assuming if he was here today, he'd say he, he genuinely believed what he was saying was true. But it was very easy because I, I, I didn't sit there thinking, oh, Jesus, what's Liam going to think of me after this show? Or will it be awkward when the camera get switched off or, or during the ad breaks is he going to talk to me if you have those things in your head um, which I probably would have had if I'd have been working with these five years ago um, imagine how difficult that would be what about what Pat Spillane says about this he says uh, this is entertainment people don't want to get bogged down in serious analysis of this stuff it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a entertainment well it's a thing that we love and it's as important as music art, theatre, uh, literature. This is hugely important. So if you, if you have to believe that. Then you have to think, okay, there were great theatre critics, Kenneth Tynan, there were great art critics, you know. You have to apply your mind to this and believe that it matters to everyone who's watching. And they're watching the same as same thing as you're watching. They're having the same arguments you're having about a player, whether it's Platini, which I was wrong about, or, well, yeah, but at least I was wrong, but I was prepared to be wrong. You know, you have to, or Messi, or Ronaldo, or all of these things, but everyone has, sport is really democratic, and everyone watches it through the same eyes. What makes a former professional different is they have a bit more information, they're a bit more informed, uh, but it's still emotionally the same experience. And I believe what RT does really well, not just in soccer, but also in rugby and other sports. It, it's like a group of friends watching the thing, no cameras, and just going for it. And that's what we try to do. But you do a bit more than that, though, because you, you uh, do you not sort of also try to dramatise it a little bit? I mean, usually when you're talking about I, it, you... I love baby, I love drama. Again, who doesn't like drama? Everybody no, loves drama. But I'm passionate. Like, I mean, John isn't passionate. <laughs> Maybe you don't know this, but he's very anal. But... <laughs> But I'm passionate, Liam's passionate, Richie brings a cerebral quality to it, which is brilliant. I mean, you guys bring something to it that's brilliant, it's new. So everyone brings something to it. So it's like being in the village, being in your town, being in your, in your bar, and everyone has a say. So let's not allow the cameras to inhibit our feelings, okay? So I've said things that were crazy. But that's what I felt at that moment. That's called life. Now, 
bring life to television and you're away with a hack. Now, do I want to be a sage? I'd love to be a sage. <laughs> I'm what, not a sage. Was there ever an occasion when you said something crazy and, you know, fully aware that it was crazy? No. 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 Was it ever contrived? No, I am actually mad. <laughs> no. No. Richie, this idea that you don't have to be right as an analyst. Do that only dawned on me relatively recently. Um, I, I thought I had to be right, and I thought I had to say things that most people would agree with, and I thought that if I was to make a prediction, if you'd asked me before a match, what's going to, so Richie, what's going to happen? I'd give you about six answers. Just on the off chance that I've covered every base, and then no one could look at the telly and go, your man hasn't a clue what he's at. <laughs> Which is very hard, again. That is what people say. I mean, people do... do that having a clue what I'm at, I'm okay with that. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, not specifically that. But, but, come on. You know, the, yeah. the, the widespread criticism now of any TV pundit is, you know, this guy is clueless, this guy hasn't done his... He doesn't know, you know. I mean, there's so many examples during the World Cup where Alan Shearer wouldn't seem to know the names of the players in the Slovakia team. That was one thing, or... You know, and that was, you know... Manager didn't know them. <laughs> you know, you, you, there's nobody, there's not too many people who actually know all that information, you know. But the pressure is there to do, to do your research. That's the kind of the modern thing. You've got you've to learn this. You've got to know this. And if you don't, then what are you doing under? Well, I think, yeah. Say, when I go into a show, I would always have an, an understanding of whatever's gone on that week. If there's an injury or a, a press conference or a transfer story or a, something that's gone on that you... That, you know what the presenter's going to ask you about. Well, obviously, you have to know about it. But I think you said a while ago, if you bring it in that you're just like lads chatting. Yeah. One of the easiest shows and one of the most enjoyable shows, I think, I had you were on, Liam was on. It was during the Euros. And I forget what game it was, but it set a bucket in rain and they stopped the game. Ukraine. Yeah, whatever. But it came back to us in, in like two minutes. The rain started... Something said, somebody said something to Dara, the presenter, and we were back on air. So there's no rehearsal. We didn't, usually when you know you have 20 minutes talk before the game, mm. you, you, you've done a bit of chat during the next, you know what analysis you're going to show. You're not going to, who's going to take it. There's some structure. There was no planning, no structure. And the three of us basically just had a chat. Yeah. And, and that's all we did. And it was great crack. I think I, yeah. I think myself and Liam had our first Barney during that yeah. one. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was just like, say what this is, just, just lads chatting about football. Why yeah. is it? Yeah, go on. Sorry, no, go on. Just, I'm wondering why it's important to you, because you talk uh, glowingly about Richie there, and I get the sense that whenever you finish up, you want to leave leave it in good hands. But why? You compared it to art, compared it to other other types of types of entertainment. Why is it important that football is talked about in an intelligent manner? Well, I think it's very important because the well, football sport matters. Football matters to me. I come from the culture the ghetto that was soccer before Jack and all of that. So it's very important to me that it's talked about intelligently, that it's informed. I mean, you look at John and Liam. I mean, A, they were great players. They're really intelligent people. They're smart. They're articulate. There's no fumbling. You know, they just... And these are guys giving you gold dust. I mean, it's gold. These are two people from the, the roots of soccer, their, their, their families. I mean, Liam's, all his brothers played. I mean, two of them played in the Football League. One of them played football for me, his brother Raymond. Uh, John, his father, his, his uncle, played for Doncaster Rovers with, you know, with Peter Doherty and Kit Lawler. This is the essence of soccer. 
these are real people. And when they start talking about soccer and talking about players and teams, you couldn't buy that. It's gold if you love football and even if you love sport. And I would argue, even if you love television, how often do you see people really, 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 really telling you what they really feel? Uh, it's just amazing. I mean, I'm happy to be there and, you know, <laughs> just be the clown. But these guys are serious. You know, they, are, they were great exponents of this, and you don't often see that. Listen, you've been absolutely great, the two of you. Thanks so much for coming Cheers along. Lots. Richie Sadler and Eamon Dunphy, everybody. Eamon Dunphy and Richie Sadler there getting an absolutely brilliant reaction from the, the crowd at the Grand Social last night. Lovely stuff from both of them, I have to say, but I really like Richie's point about starting out and just thinking, right, I have to read everything. I have to get all these opinions across. I have to give the consensus and let everyone know what people are thinking about whatever the topic is, which essentially he decided after a while was a nonsensical way of going about it because everyone can read those stories themselves. I hope you enjoyed today's special edition of Second Captains of the Irish Times. Just a reminder, four shows a week. That starts next Tuesday. So um, we're looking forward to getting cracking on that. In the meantime... You can check us out on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday. Chat to you then. Bye. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.